Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. So 10 years ago, I was taking a course on communication of the gospel. And as part of this course, I had to investigate how well normal Canadians understand the language we use as we try to point people to Jesus. So I looked at the way we talk about sin. And I did so by interviewing some of our neighbors. There were three men in their early 20s. We were living in Sarnia, Ontario at the time. So that's the, where we're at. And as I talked with them, it became clear was that the word sin just wasn't a part of their normal vocabulary. For two of them, it was never used. It wasn't a part of their normal life at all. For the other one, it was when he went back to his parents at home and went to church because he was a Catholic when he was home. So it's uh, so there, sin meant something. At least it was used. So the idea of sin, it's vanished from our society. Right? People do bad things. Um, we may even describe things as evil, but we don't describe them as sin except in church here. And even in church or with spiritual friends, the word sin may not really resonate with us the way it should. Um, Just because we're so immersed in this godless culture that we live in. And uh, because essentially sin has to do with God. If God's not referenced in our thoughts, and conversations, then sin is absent as well. Or if it's not absence, then it's not really relevant. So I'm here this morning to introduce you to Psalm 51, or refresh your exposure to it, as the case may be. It's a psalm about sin. And as such, is relevant to every one of us here, but it may only seem relevant to you at the moment, if you have a significant consciousness of God right now, at this moment. And if the Holy Spirit is making you aware of a lack of holiness in your own life before God. And these days, that would be a very un-Canadian experience, right? And so I believe, therefore, that it would be helpful for us to pray as we get started asking God, to mold our hearts away from godlessness and to help us to see things as they truly are, the way God sees them. So let's pray. Father, we ask that you'll help us to understand this psalm as you want us to, that we'll feel this psalm as you want us to feel it, and that we will respond as you want us to respond. Let's uh, 
the, let's just go to that psalm. I'll read this psalm out to you as a whole before we really delve into it. It's uh, headed for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or it would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Okay, let's um, start looking at the psalm in a bit more detail. So it's a header. It gives the background to the psalm, which has been talked about a little bit in the service before. Um, when the prophet Nathan came to David after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now, I know that the Bible doesn't cover up the flaws of the major characters. If you've done any reading in the Bible, you're aware of that yourself. But this event is still very disturbing to me. And uh, some of you know the story. For those of you who don't, I'll just recap it briefly here. Um, it was spring. And King David sent out his men and the whole Israelite army to fight against the Ammonites who lived to the east of Israel. And then one evening, David was walking on the roof of the palace. And from the palace, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. I guess she thought no one could see her where she was. It was Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. 
Now, Uriah was one of David's best warriors. He was one of the 30 men who'd been with David since before he'd been made king. A special group of fighting men were called David's mighty men. That was the, how they were known. So Uriah now was far away because he was with the army. Um, he'd been sent away against the Ammonites. So what David did next was he sent for Bathsheba and slept with her. And Bathsheba became pregnant. So now David had a problem. Uh, He sent for Uriah to be sent back from the battlefront and received from Uriah reports on how the battles were going and then sent him home to his own home And uh, a gift came after him. But Uriah didn't go home. Uriah just stopped the entrance to the palace and he slept with the palace servants there on the ground at the palace entrance. So David found out this had happened. So David questioned him why he'd done this. And he said he couldn't go home to eat and drink and sleep with his wife while his commander and all the rest of the army were living in tents or in the open fields. So David sent for him again that evening. This time, David got him drunk, and then he sent him home. Still, Uriah didn't go home. He stopped at the entrance to the palace. So... David gave back, gave up on that tactic. He sent him back to the battlefield. But he sent a message also to the commander of the army. And he told the commander to put Uriah in such a position that he would be killed in the battle. And that's what happened. And then when Bathsheba had completed the accepted time for mourning, David sent for her, and she became his wife. Now, David, as you probably know, was a very special man. We're told three times in the scripture that God considered him to be someone after his own heart. He was a man of prayer. The Spirit of God, we're told, came upon him in power when he was anointed. He wrote many Spiritual songs that have been in use for thousands of years. And yet, that did not keep David from being tempted and to falling disastrously into sin, and then from one sin to another. And if he had any remorse or guilt, he wasn't letting it be known. He was hiding his sin. You wonder how it's possible. Maybe you don't wonder how it's possible to hide sin like that. We, we all sin. And I think it's safe to say that we all hide it. And that gives us the need to ask God to expose our sin, as Cheryl talked about last week in looking at Psalm 139. In the case of David, the Lord sent a prophet Nathan, and he skillfully 
brought David around to acknowledge, I have sinned against the Lord. And it's well worth reading what Nathan did to bring about that response. But that's all we're told in the historical accounts, just a simple sentence where David said, I've sinned against the Lord. But David carefully thought through his response to God, and then he ended up expressing it in this wonderful psalm that we have, Psalm 51. So let's take a look again in more detail at this psalm. I've divided it into seven sections. A plea for mercy, expression of repentance, appealing for cleansing, for restoration, and then looking forward to overflow, and then the conclusion and appendix. So to start with, um, David opens the psalm with a plea for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. These two psalms start the psalm, sorry, these two verses start the psalm by asking for forgiveness based on who God is, despite what David had done. A God with unfailing love and who has great compassion. He was displeased, maybe, and uh, in Second Samuel it says that, that God was displeased with David very understated way of putting it. But there it was. But did you notice in these two verses that David makes clear that he's asking for a very thorough cleansing? He says it three times, right? In three different ways. That God will blot away the sin, wash him, and cleanse him. And he asks for cleansing of all the nuances of sin. Again, he describes sin in three ways. Transgressions, iniquity, and sin, he uses three words. He wants complete cleansing. He's asking for the full thing. Not just a partial cleansing, not just a temporary thing, not just whitewashing, very thorough thing. And you'll see in this psalm, David is, he puts his whole heart into it. He doesn't just uh, pray it without really thinking about it the way he we often do quite honestly in church when we're praying a confession, you know, together. It's not always really deep thing. David here is very serious, going very deep. Let's move on to the next four verses in which David expresses his repentance. He says, For I know my transgressions are my sin. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. So David has come a long way from when he was desperately hiding his sin from people committing murder in order to do it 
when he wasn't dressing it with himself or with God, he's now extremely aware of his sins and of how serious the problem is. And he recognizes that sin is essentially an evil done against God, even though it may involve people. And why is that? Well, God created me. He created you. He created everyone. When we sin against a person, or even against ourselves, it's a sin against God. Sin, unfortunately, is like that. And David recognized it also, not just as um, something against God. He recognized it's not a new problem. Maybe he hadn't committed adultery before. Maybe he hadn't murdered before. But even despite his recent fall, he can see it's been there for a long time. The sin has been in his life right from the start, as far back as he can remember and before. Sin, unfortunately, rears its ugly head right through our lives from childhood. In some people, it might be more obvious. But it's there in you and me and everyone. David also observes that sun is not superficial. It has roots deep, deep inside us. And God wants truth. Even in the innermost parts of ourselves. Our most private places. The place we may not even be aware of ourselves a lot of the time. So if we understand how deeply sin is a hold of us, as David describes it here, then we will realize how seriously we need, each of us needs the touch of God right down in our hearts. True repentance comes from deep inside us. Wow, what repentance that is. David now moves on to look at the kind of cleansing that he's seeking from God. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. So he starts off, cleanse me with hyssop. Who knows what hyssop is? <laughs> Anyone? It's a, it's, a, it's a plant that grows in, well, where David lived. Um, <laughs> it's a kind of mint. It's a kind, in the mint family, shall I say, at least. And it's the... Um, when the priests were doing the sacrifices and they wanted to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on people or something to be cleansed, they'd dip a bunch of hyssop in the blood of the sacrifice and then they could sprinkle it. It just worked well for sprinkling the blood, I guess. 
And uh, David is probably thinking here, particularly about the cleansing of lepers with blood from a sacrifice. That's described in Leviticus 14. Because he uses very similar language and talks not only of being sprinkled with the blood, with the hyssop, but also of the washing afterwards. The language in the Hebrew is very similar. And uh, anyway, as David made clear at the start of the psalm, he's seeking complete cleansing. And here he says, whiter than snow. You know, sin's weighing heavily on him, but his repentance is thorough, and he knows that God's cleansing will be also be very thorough. And you can imagine once you've been sprinkled with blood to become white as snow, that's a thorough cleansing, right? And uh, the complete transformation he's seeking and that he knows God can give is beautifully expressed in the next verse. You know, when we hear the sounds of joy and laughter, we want to join in, right? If you go past a place where people are laughing, it's really joyful. We're naturally drawn. We want to go and join in, be a part of that, just pure fun. And uh, you know the feeling. David, at the moment, he felt totally crushed. Crushed as though even his bones were crushed. And uh, in despair, really, unable to do anything, unable to respond to those sounds of joy. And so he prays, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Now that's the NIV translation. But the Hebrew word for rejoice here, the basic meaning is dance. It's used for rejoice as well, but the basic meaning is dance. And here surely it's more appropriate to fit in with this psalm, with this poem, to translate it as dance. And then you've got this wonderful description of dancing that's totally impossible when your bones are broken or cracked, never mind crushed. You know, so totally appropriate after God's complete healing, dancing, following on. Wonderful idea of Complete healing, moving on to a whole new kind of life. And, and that finishes the first half of the psalm, verse 9. If you notice, it's very similar to the first verse. And uh, it's a kind of repetition on it, of it. But we now move on. The psalm could end there. It doesn't. Because uh, David moves on from healing to renovation, restoration, revitalization. That's what the next part of the psalm's on. So, verse 10. David says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. And thank you for that song that we sung earlier. And re- renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So total forgiveness, now what? Get tangled in sin again? No. We need more 
than forgiveness. We need a new heart, a pure heart. And when we talk of a heart like this, right, we're referring to that place deep within us where our desires come from. Only God can create a new heart in us, a pure heart. You know that. You struggle, I'm sure, with that whole question of how come my heart won't get pure? You know, just for a little while maybe, and then how come all these things come up from in there that we don't want to be there? Well, we do and we don't. A pure heart, the only way to get a pure heart is for God to give us a pure heart. Our hearts need more than minor tinkering. You know, some people do live reasonably good lives, reasonably happy lives without letting God do surgery. You know, you know, I know a lot of people like that. I'm sure you do. We all do. But if God, by his spirit, has made you aware of the badness, aware of the playing with sin, aware of the avoidance of God that's deep-seated in who you are, then you also know you need God's help. You've had a taste of who God is, and you know you want his presence. David is afraid of losing the presence of God. And, and also, this is very interesting. David, at least to me, David prays that God will not take the Holy Spirit from him. You know, we think of the Holy Spirit as belonging to the world after Pentecost. Belonging to the world after Jesus has come into the world and then released his spirit when he died. Um, And certainly God's spirit was released into this world of ours in a different way. Um, since Pentecost. But God's Spirit has always been active in certain ways right from the first day of creation. And one place we see this is in the Old Testament when um, the empowering of the first kings of Israel, of Saul and David. Right, Saul the first king, then David who followed him. And to understand what David is saying here, I think you need to to know what happened when David was anointed to replace Saul as king. And that's in 1 Samuel 16, verses 13 and 14, if you want to look it up. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David as king in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Now, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Saul had sinned. He disobeyed God blatantly, and then he he didn't repent. David's afraid of the same thing happening to him, naturally. Um, It did not, because David repented, as we see so clearly in this psalm, where Saul did not. Okay. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, praise David. That joy 
is so special because underneath it is the knowledge that no sin is dragging us down away from the experience deep, deep love of God. It is a joy that dances, at least in our minds and our hearts. Now, David is wise. He knows that joy can be fleeting. And so he prays, as we should, that God will, along with the new heart, give us steadfastness and a willingness to keep on living a good life, lived in the glow of God's light. Okay, moving on to overflow. Then, says David, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. So is David saying here that he's going to kind of give up the kingship? He's going to become a priest, right? Teaching the law of the Lord, or that he's going to become an evangelist rather than a musician? I don't think so. But what would happen, imagine what would happen after this event if one of the people in David's court around him one of his men would get caught in adultery, what then? Or if one of them committed murder? I think David is going to preach those, approach that person in a very different way and they're going to receive him in a very different way. He can tell them about the forgiveness of God that he's received himself about the love that he's experienced, about the way he's been helped. And they would listen to him. And beyond that, I mean, he was a great songwriter, singer. Everyone around him is going to hear what he's singing about God. The palace must have been quite the place, the palace and the temple, you know, When we experience the joy of freedom from our guilt, freedom to come near the presence of God, when we first feel that nearness of the awesome, almighty God, we readily pass on the knowledge, at least we want to. We're ready when the occasion arises. And we feel the desire whenever we are fresh from the presence of God If that's not our experience, then we need to ask God to cleanse us again and restore to us the joy of our salvation so that our lips will open. True Christianity cannot be a private religion. It overflows not only in private thanks and praise to God, which it will, but also to those around us. If the desire is missing, We need to search our hearts. If the desire is there, but we're just too embarrassed or shy to take the opportunities, then we need to concentrate on the last of David's requests here and ask God 
to open our lips. Conclusion. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now, this cannot be an absolute dismissal of the sacrificial system. By David, I mean, after all, he was deeply involved in it. Um, He saw to the construction of the temple. He set up the temple guild of singers. Um, He sacrificed lots of times himself. We'll read about it. But the emphasis here is critical. In dealing with sin, we need broken bones. Our own broken bones. A real acceptance of our sin and realization of the depth of our problem. A contrite heart. Not simply a sacrifice of some kind. That deep admission before God opens the way to his loving and creative response. There's an appendix to this psalm, verses 18 and 19. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So here we have the Old Testament sacrificial system once again. Some people see this as a later addition to the psalm. Um, because they don't like the apparent minimization of the system in verses 16 and 17. Um, But it could well be original because of David's involvement in the sacrificial system. And he referred earlier to sacrifices in the hyssop. In verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop. This need for cleansing with the blood of sacrifice is central both to the Old Testament and to the New. The sacrifices of the Old Testament, looking forward to the sacrifice of Jesus, and we understand the sacrifice of Jesus more deeply through the Old Testament sacrifices and sacrificial system. God's fundamental way of dealing with sin is through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, who gave his life as a sinless son of God so that we could all live a new life in the light of his presence. So, so this is a very rich psalm. Um, it involves David's heart very deeply all the way through, wholehearted addressing the problem. Shows the steps we need to take in dealing with our guilt, from acknowledging the need to receive God's mercy, going moving on to repentance, cleansing, restoration, and overflow in joy, worship, and proclamation. If, as we seek to live in the light of God's presence, we sometimes mess up, then this psalm is helpful outline of the steps we need to take to move us back into fellowship with God. Keep in mind, 
keep it in mind. From Psalm 51. Make sure you can look it up when you want to and get a little bit of help in repenting the way that you think you should. And when the Holy Spirit brings to mind some, something wrong in your heart. It could be that some of you <clears throat> are becoming aware of the uncleanness in your own heart, in your own life, and are ready to go to Jesus for cleansing and renewal by his spirit, and for the first time to bow down to him as your Savior and Lord. If that is you, that you've never approached God and Jesus for that renewal that's available in Jesus Christ, I'd like to lead you in a prayer of confession and commitment. Uh, Let me first read the prayer to you so that you know what's coming. I'll be praying, um, Lord God, Holy God, I know there is a sin in my life. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse the sin from my life through the death of Jesus who gave his life to me to give me life. I take Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit, giving me a new heart to worship you and spread your joy in this world. So let's all bow our heads before God. I will pray a sentence, then leave a gap where you can pray it silently yourself if you are wanting to make such a prayer of confession and commitment. So let's all bow our heads and uh, feel free to pray along with me. Lord God, holy God, I know there is sin in my life. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse the sin from my life through the death of Jesus, who gave his life to give me life. I take Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. giving me a new heart to worship you and spread your joy in this world. Amen. If um, God has been speaking to you and you prayed that prayer for the first time, today is a real serious commitment and seeking the forgiveness, then I ask you to let let me know after the service or let Pastor Tom know so that we can be praying with you as you move forward. Okay, that's it. May you find in this psalm a really useful way to deepen the way you worship 
when you need to confess. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.